around Jesus meant that you could expect the unexpected at any moment. As a rabbi, someone who was a teacher, he was very unconventional. Even his death was unconventional. He died. And three days later, he rose again, never to die. And that is the gospel. We are taking a look at some of the things that Jesus did during that 40-day period between his resurrection and his ascension. Last week, we spoke about his intent to make sure that people knew that he was alive, that it was a fact. And so he provided many experiences for the disciple and other people to see him, to touch him, to talk with him, to eat with him, to make sure that he was not a ghost. He was a person. He had a human body, a body that would never die again, but he was alive and well. The various encounters he had with people were facts that they could not deny. Also, the fact that he is alive brings perspective and certainty to everything that Jesus said about himself and to what scriptures say about him. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. He is the Son of God. And we can put our faith and our trust in him. In fact, There is no other name in whom we can put our trust. For there is no other name by which we may be saved. And that was a key element of the preaching of the apostles. When Peter was brought before the high priest and the elders, and uh, he had to give an account of what he was preaching, he declared very boldly in Acts 4.12, Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is only through Jesus. He is the name above all names. Now, this is the same Peter that a few weeks before denied knowing Jesus for fear of his life. These are the same religious leaders interrogating him now. The same ones that killed Jesus. So what makes Peter so bold all of a sudden? Well, He knew the fact that Jesus is alive. And therefore, it is a fact that there is salvation in no other. And Peter will not compromise. If the resurrection was a lie, Peter would not be risking his neck for it. In today's message, we look at an unexpected way by which Jesus declared his resurrection. And you looked at two important reasons why he did it. This is important because we read in the Gospels that some lies were spread saying that the disciples had stolen the body of Jesus to claim that he was raised from the dead. In other words, they were saying that the resurrection was a fable, a myth, a lie. Now, if someone was trying to create a fable, they would make it as believable as possible. They would use witnesses who would be recognized as respected and credible by the community. But not Jesus. Everything he did was unexpected. Those three years that the disciples spent with him were times of continuously expecting the unexpected. When the wine ran out at a wedding, Jesus turned water into wine. 
When they came across a funeral, Jesus raised the son of a widow. When they came across a leper, instead of running away, Jesus came closer and touched the leper. And then, instead of Jesus becoming sick, the leper got healed. When Jesus wanted to cross the Sea of Galilee and there was no boat around, he simply walked across it. He taught to forgive instead of taking revenge. He taught to love those who did not deserve love. And the list goes on. And so, within a few hours of being resurrected, Jesus does the unexpected again. Let's read some verses. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read verse 1 and then verses 5 to 10. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And when they arrived at the tomb, they found that the tomb was open. And there was an angel there. Verse 5. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you so. And so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples news. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and they held him by the feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Wow. So, Who was the first messenger to bring the news of the resurrection to other people? To share the news that Jesus had raised from the dead? Well, Mary Magdalene and the other ladies. The other woman that went with her. So, the first messengers of the good news of the resurrection of Christ were women. As you remember, the gospel is the good news. That Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose on the third day. So these women were declaring the good news, the gospel. They were the first evangelists. Now, why is this unexpected? Perhaps when we read the story today, we are so familiar with it, and, and so much of this sounds so normal to us, that we see nothing unexpected nor unusual. But To a first century reader of the Gospels, this account was very unusual. It was even a problematic account. Why? You see, in the first century, the testimony of a woman was not credible. In that culture, the testimony of women and servants were considered not reliable. So, for Jesus to choose a woman as his first witness and messenger of the good news was totally unexpected. It was unexpected and unlikely for a woman to be trusted with such important news. Now, Jesus did not do things at random. There was purpose in using women as his first witnesses. 
Now, some say that it was because these women were with Jesus at his crucifixion and burial. They witnessed his death. Uh, they were there when he was buried. And that is why he chose them to grant them this message. Others say that it is because at that time women were responsible to carry out the burial routines. And so Jesus chose them to trust him with a message. Some say that this was a way that Jesus uh, elevating the status of first century women, sending a message that women in general have greater value than what was given to them by society. And there is an element of truth in all these explanations. But there is something more in choosing women, knowing that they would be considered unreliable witnesses. Let me share with you two unexpected reasons for choosing women as primary witnesses. First, there is a strategic reason for choosing women. When you read the resurrection account in the Gospels, you hear variations as to what happened that day. You read the four Gospels and you read four variations of what happened, what exactly happened that morning. But all four Gospels agree on this one thing. All mention that the announcement of the resurrection was first made to Mary Magdalene and the other women. The women who followed Jesus were the first to hear of the resurrection and the first to be told to tell others of this good news. Despite the fact that in the first century society, people could doubt that report, the gospel writers were so convinced of what these women saw and experienced that they included their testimony in their gospels. The testimony of these women was included in the preaching of the gospel by the apostles as evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. Why would women be given this important role in a society that saw them as inferior? Well, the fact that the gospel writers included this fact in their writings suggests that what they wrote is the truth and not made up fables. If they were just making up a story, they would never have included their testimony. In fact, even the apostles at first thought that these women were making up a story. In Luke 24, verses 10 and 11, we read, It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed like idle tales. Huh? And they did not believe them. Huh? Even the apostles are, are, are doubting, what have these women been doing? But once Jesus appeared to them and they realized that the women had spoken the truth, the gospel writers had no problem in including their stories in their account. If the believers were just making up a story about the resurrection of Jesus, as the opponents of the gospel suggested, then why would they include unlikely witnesses? They would rather choose credible men of the day to testify, yet by Jesus choosing what people did not expect, actually brought long-term integrity and credibility to the fact of the resurrection. A theologian has put it this way. Perhaps the strongest reason of taking the stories of the empty tomb absolutely seriously lies in the fact that it is women 
who played the leading role. It would have been very unlikely for anyone in the ancient world who was concocting a story to assign the principal part to women, since in those times they were not considered capable of being reliable witnesses in a court of law. It is surely much more probable that they appear in the gospel accounts precisely because they actually fulfill the role that the stories assigned to them. And in so doing, they made a startling discovery. In this sense, the women offer very strong historical evidence for the testimony that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. So, the unexpected choice of choosing women as his primary messengers had a strategic purpose. The second reason I want to share with you is a lot closer to home. It's closer to me, it's closer to you. It does not only involve women only, but touches everybody. The second reason touches all of us, and it is this. God often chooses whom we least expect to fulfill his purposes. A quick scan through the Bible will expose this fact. God chooses those that we are tempted to ignore. God chooses those who are least in their society. God uses the unlikely to do the work of God. Think of Joseph, the dreamer. He becomes the ruler of Egypt and saves many, including the Israelites in a time of famine. Deborah becomes the first woman judge over Israel. Young David, the forgotten shepherd boy, becomes a great king. The fearful Gideon, the least and youngest in his tribe, is chosen to defeat the Midianites. Rahab, a Canaanite woman, becomes part of the genealogy of Jesus and is recognized as a hero of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Matthew, a tax collector, considered in those days to be the scum of the earth for working for the Romans against his people, is chosen by Jesus to be a disciple. A young boy brings his lunch to Jesus, five loaves and two fishes, and Jesus used this unlikely meal to feed a crowd of 5,000 people. And God uses a fierce persecutor of the faith, Saul, to write most of the New Testament as the Apostle Paul. How unexpected is that? You can find many more examples in Scripture and throughout church history. The word says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Man, I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. If Jesus does the unexpected with the unlikely, then maybe he can do something with my life that will be significant and meaningful to somebody. By the unexpected choice of Jesus on that Sunday morning, I need to realize that anyone can be a messenger of the good news. At the end of those 40 days, Jesus would tell his followers to go into the world and spread the message of the gospel, of the fact that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again on the third day. 
this command is not just for the learned, the powerful, and the wise. This command is for anyone who believes. We are just asked to be messengers. We don't have to make people believe. That is not our job. All the women had to do was to bring a message. And all we have to do today is to give the message too. So much in this world of ours has changed in the last couple of months. And the future remains uncertain to many. But one thing is certain. Jesus is alive. God is still in control of history. The forgiveness of sin and eternal life is available to everyone. And we are called to be messengers of this good news. In Jesus, you can find peace. You can find hope and direction for your life. So, for those of you who believe in Jesus, take courage this morning and believe that God can use you in a meaningful way. Maybe you consider yourself an unlikely instrument for God to use. Maybe you don't think you have the qualifications, the knowledge, the talent. Hey, stop. You just follow Jesus. You have a message. Just be aware of opportunities to share that message, to encourage someone, to pray for someone, to help someone. It can happen over social media. It can happen in a conversation when you're shopping or working. It can happen in unexpected ways. Just believe that God does the unexpected with the unlikely and be ready to be used in unexpected ways by the Lord. Maybe you are watching or listening and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus yet. You are missing out on wonderful, unexpected experiences. Call on Jesus today. Receive Him as your Lord and Savior. Turn away from your way of life and tune in into His way of life and live His way of life. As we close the service today, we are going to share in communion. This is the Lord's table, and we are all invited. If you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come, be part of this table. If you have children in your home, let them share in it too. The Christian communion flowed out of the Jewish Passover, which was a family meal where they remembered their liberation from slavery in Egypt. Well, communion is a family meal where we remember our liberation from the power of sin and death because of what Jesus did for us through his death, burial, and resurrection. Get your bread and your juice ready now, and let us share in communion. As I said earlier, communion is an invitation from Jesus Christ. It's not based on whether you deserve it or not, whether I deserve it or not. Mm -hmm. This is His invitation. It's His table. Mm -hmm. And what a privilege it is for us to gather again around the Lord's table. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 23 to 26, where it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For wherever you drink and whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so you see, we've been talking about the resurrection, the things that Jesus did to show us that he's alive. And so we are remembering those facts, those events, the fact that he's alive and everything he accomplished on the cross for us. And so we remember salvation, we remember healing, we remember provision. And so as we partake today of the bread and of the cup, remember these things. Thank God for his blessings. Receive those blessings in your life. What you're going to do is, I'm going to ask Dio to, to pray for the bread, and then we're all going to eat the bread together, and then I will pray for the cup, and we'll drink the cup together. Are you ready? Let's go. As we come to the table, um, we should come with a repented heart. So if there is something in your heart, in your life, that you feel you need cleansing from, now is the moment. It's the moment to call out because that's why Jesus gave himself on the cross of Calvary. And this morning, as we partake of the symbol, as we partake of the bread, we remember what he went through on that cross and what was exchanged on that cross. And what a beautiful remembrance that we can claim it to our own lives for forgiveness of sins, for provision, for healing, for whatever it is that there is a lack in our lives. We can claim it this morning as we partake. So take your bread. And let's pray. We come before you, Father God, this morning with a grateful heart that you loved us so, so much that you gave us your son. Jesus, we want to thank you for your obedience. You obeyed the Father and you went to that cross to die for each one of us. And today we thank you as we remember, we thank you for your body and for what you took on that cross for each one of us. Amen. Amen. So take and eat and be blessed. And afterwards, he took the cup and he blessed the cup. Let's take our cups. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the fruit of the vine, which reminds us of the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for everything you accomplished for us on that cross, Lord Jesus. Forgiveness of sins and relationship with God. Thank you that you can take part today in the cup of blessing. Hallelujah. And so I thank you, Father, for your blessing upon everyone participating. Thank you for your provision, your protection, your love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed as a drink of the cup. It's always such a special time when you have communion. Well, this brings us to the end of our service today. Trust we're blessed. Enjoy the rest of the Sunday. Enjoy Mother's Day. And we'll see you again next Sunday as we continue.
with our 40-day series. Let us close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for mothers. Thank you for family. And thank you for relationship with you, Lord God. Give us a wonderful day, a wonderful week, guided by your spirit, provided by you. And so now, may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you.